Dedicated missionary service returns a dividend of eternal joy, which extends throughout mortality and into eternity. I want it absolutely clear that I declared to the world in the most straightforward language I could summon that the Book of Mormon is true. True disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out, speak up, and be different. If you're not a full-time missionary with a missionary badge pinned on your coat, now is the time to paint one on your heart. God has something unimaginable in mind for you personally and the church collectively. A marvelous work and a wonder. In this church, what we know will always trump what we do not know. Missionary work is an identifying feature of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Always has it been, ever shall it be. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. What's cracking, everyone? Welcome back to the Mission Prep Podcast. I've got some not-so-exciting news for you all, but I figure it's worthy of filling you guys in on anyway. Actually, for me, it's kind of a big deal, and I'll tell you why. So the news is, is that the podcast is now on Instagram. I know, revolutionary, right? Hear me out, though. This is actually a pretty big deal for me because for any of you who know me at all, you know that I stay away from social media like it's a black plague. It's just something that I have always avoided. And I've got my reasons, but to keep it short, it's just way too easy to waste an insane amount of time on, and I'm not going to hide the fact that that's been hard for me to control in the past. But I figured that it would make it a little easier for you guys to find me. So the podcast is now on Instagram, so if you like what you hear on here and you want to get involved in the conversation, just head over to the Instagram page, and there you can ask your questions, you can share your mission call if you have one, or give any advice to anyone else out there listening. The page is just called Mission Prep Podcast. It's got the same logo and everything, so hopefully it's not too difficult to find. And of course, you can all still get in touch with me through the email too if you prefer. I just figured that the Instagram page would be easier and more approachable for you guys. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, let's just get into the nitty gritty, shall we? Today, I wanted to talk about what it means to be bold without being overbearing. This is a phrase that we are all probably familiar with. It's actually a phrase that Alma uses with his sons to show them how to be a missionary, essentially, and it's become a common phrase that we use a lot in the church. So I wanted to dive in a little bit with you guys on what it means and what it might look like for you to be bold but not overbearing as a missionary. Naturally, I think we all might have some hesitations or fears when it comes to sharing the gospel. We worry what others will think about us. We worry about how the message will come across. We worry that they won't accept it. We worry that we are being too pushy. We make judgments based on the way someone looks that they won't want it. We are afraid that we'll lose family or friends. We are afraid that we won't say the right thing or that we'll offend someone. I mean, the list goes on. I know that when I was a missionary, sharing the gospel naturally came with some awkward and even some nerve-wracking moments. It's hard to go up and talk to someone that you don't even know, let alone try to share the gospel with them. And as a missionary, I had to make sure that I wasn't being timid or shy about teaching truth because that's what I was there to do. And this is probably why Alma is teaching his son this truth because these are all things that all of us come across. As a missionary, you have to be bold. As the Apostle Paul once declared, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So too must we share our convictions without wavering. People will be unconvinced of your testimony if you are timid about it. And you have every reason to be bold as a missionary because you have the truth that the world needs, guys. You have the key to eternal and lasting happiness. You, yourself, you represent Jesus Christ, and you have been commissioned to bring others into his loving arms. You have the authority to preach the gospel, and you are promised God's power as you do so. These are some pretty amazing things. I remember early in my mission being afraid to promise people that God would give them an answer about the Book of Mormon if they prayed about it. I mean, if you think about it, this is a pretty bold thing to do. I was afraid that they wouldn't get an answer, or even if they did, they wouldn't recognize it. Over time, though, I came to know that the promise is sure to anyone who puts in the work and asks with a sincere heart. Let me give you guys a great example of this for my mission. So there was a girl that we were teaching when I was about six months in, and we had been teaching her on and off for a while. And it wasn't until I was able to promise her with all the fervor of my heart that if she read and prayed about the Book of Mormon that she would get an answer, that she did get an answer. And I was able to promise her that her answer would be unmistakable. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, she comes running out of her house with tears in her eyes yelling, Elders, elders, I got my answer. And as these stories go, she was baptized not long after. Now, when I think about this, if I had not been bold enough to give her that promise, she wouldn't have been able to have the confidence that if she acted in faith, she would get that witness. That kind of boldness will be rooted in your own convictions, guys. There's another side to this coin, though. Continuing on with Alma's counsel to his son, Shevlon, he says, Yes, use boldness, but not overbearance. So what could this mean exactly? It seems that Alma is trying to tell us that there has to be a balance between two things, kind of like a happy medium. If the happy medium is boldness, then on one side you would have shyness, and on the other side you would have overbearance. So let's look at an example of how one could be using overbearance. Why don't we use the doctrine that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Christ's true church as a starting point. Now, if you were being bold, you would be able to proclaim from your heart that this is the true church without shying away from it. Being overbearing, on the other hand, might sound something like, Jesus said that this is his only true church, so that means your church is wrong and has no truth. To illustrate this further, there is an article that I'm going to share with you guys that goes into much more detail on this. It was written by Eric John K. Marlowe for the Religious Studies Center at BYU. He was an assistant professor at the time he wrote this, and in it he shares with us the results of a study that he conducted with Utah residents from different faiths. His preface to this paper reads as follows. When I asked a pastor how members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints might be better neighbors, he suggested, quote, Becoming friends really helps. Then, grimacing slightly and shaking his head, he continued, but, you know, I have to be truthful with you. Regardless of how much they may work on the friendly area, they have those teachings that are so exclusive, and they are so offensive. Now, this makes me think that he's probably made that conclusion because he has probably had his fair share of run-ins with members of a church who don't quite know yet how to find the line between boldness and overbearance. Of course, these members most likely have the right intentions, like all of us do when we try to share the gospel, but that doesn't mean we are going to get the message across perfectly. And that's okay, but we can always learn a better way to do things. Of course, as with all things the Lord requires of us, it won't be easy. Concerning this, President Boy K. Packer said, One doctrine presents a particular challenge. 
It is our firm conviction that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, as the Revelation state, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. Great. Thanks a lot, Heavenly Father. That's what you're going to give us to work with? We might as well tell everyone else that they are all wrong. All kidding aside, though, we really have to think a little more deeply about what this doctrine means and how we can share it with others, because essentially, that's what you'll be doing on your mission. How are you going to navigate how to tell people that this is Christ's only true and living church? Hopefully, the rest of this article will help you out a little bit with knowing how to do that. So, let's continue. Marlowe then goes on to say that Heavenly Father loves all of his children and, in his wisdom, has always provided them truth as he sees fit. Simple observation readily confirms a good deal of truth in other churches. Yet, the Lord has declared the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to be the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. The Church of Jesus Christ is not true because its members try harder than those of other faiths to please God. Rather, the Church is true because Christ himself established, authorized, and acknowledges the continuing work therein as valid and eternal. The Church is true because it possesses the necessary authority, ordinances, and true doctrine, all of which are bestowed by God." End quote. So, when we really think about this mic-dropping statement made by the Lord, we can see that it's really not just black and white. Just like us, all other Christian churches believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and that He redeemed us. I mean, everything that we believe really boils down to that, doesn't it? So, we probably should give every other Christian a lot more credit than they might be getting because we have much more in common with them than we do differences. And the things that we do have in common are literally the very things that matter the most. At the same time, though, we can't beat around the bush with the fact that this is Christ's only church. President Packer further explains, The position that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church upon the face of the earth is fundamental. Perhaps it would be more convenient and palatable and popular if we were to avoid it, Nevertheless, we are under a sacred obligation and a sacred trust to hold to it. It is not merely an admission. It is a positive declaration. It is so fundamental that we cannot yield on this point. There is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism. End quote. Continuing, Marlowe says that it is through personal revelation and meaningful experiences that Latter-day Saints come to know in a profound and personal way that this is Christ's only true church. And, similar to Lehi after partaking the fruit, or to Enos after his conversion, we want to share the benefits of its membership with others. Therefore, it grieves us to learn that our doctrine of only one true church can be offensive and confusing to others." End quote. He then suggests that, by understanding how those of other faiths may perceive our doctrine, and by reviewing principles that can reduce offense and confusion, we will be better equipped to boldly proclaim without overbearance our commitment to the doctrine of one true church. Gordon B. Hinckley has said, Let us never act in a spirit of arrogance or with a holier-than-thou attitude. Rather, may we show love and respect and helpfulness toward them not of our faith. We are greatly misunderstood, and I fear that much of it is of our own making. We can be more tolerant, more neighborly, more friendly, more of an example than we have been in the past." End quote. Okay, so in this study that Marlowe did with Utah residents who weren't of our faith, he received a lot of answers from people that came from misunderstandings about this doctrine. He found that some people felt that we thought we were better than them or more righteous than them because we belonged to the Lord's Church. 
He reported receiving other statements about how participants felt that we thought that God loved us more or only answered our prayers because we are part of his church. In all, these people felt less than and less important. I know that when we hear things like this, we think, no, that's not how it is at all. And it really saddens us. But hopefully this motivates all of us to think about how we could do better. So in summary, Marlowe says, three general misunderstandings regarding our doctrine of one true church seem to emerge in the comments participants made. First, this doctrine may on occasion incorrectly suggest to Latter-day Saints and may convey to those of other faiths the idea that other churches have little or nothing of worth to offer. Second, some members of other faiths, as well as some Latter-day Saints, may mistakenly view this doctrine as ascribing exclusiveness to God's love and concern for his children. This may lead some Latter-day Saints to assume that they are more righteous than others based solely on their membership in Christ's true church. While on the flip side, it may engender a perception of Latter-day Saint arrogance, or even prejudice toward those of other faiths. Third, Membership in Christ's true church does not excuse or exclude Latter-day Saints from charitable feelings toward and meaningful associations with those of other faiths, nor does it exclude Latter-day Saints from joining with our brothers and sisters of other faiths in efforts to promote shared values. It is wrong to limit associations with those of other faiths based on this doctrine. He then proceeds to give us a list of principles that we can adopt personally to prevent these misunderstandings that we've just gone over. First, he says that we need to understand that God's plan is universal. Often misunderstandings that surround our doctrine of one true church have their roots in an inaccurate view of God's dealings with all of his children. So guys, we need to understand that God is a part of every single person's life. Every single person here is his child and he is earnestly seeking to help them understand that. BYU professors Robert L. Millett and Lloyd D. Newell explain, we need only become acquainted with individuals of other religious persuasions to recognize their goodness and the truths that they possess. It would be blatant arrogance to suppose that Latter-day Saints are the only people on earth with whom our Heavenly Father is concerned or to whom he seeks to make known his mind and will. God loves all of his children on earth and seeks to teach all that people are prepared to receive. In 1978, the First Presidency stated, The great religious leaders of the world, such as Muhammad, Confucius, and the Reformers, as well as philosophers including Socrates, Plato, and others received a portion of God's light. They are referring to the light of Christ here, which everyone has. They continue to say that moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations and bring a higher level of understanding to individuals. The Hebrew prophets prepared the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, who should provide salvation for all mankind who believe in the gospel. Consistent with these truths, we believe that God has given and will give to all peoples sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal salvation, either in this life or in the life to come. We also declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ, restored to his church in our day, provides the only way to a mortal life of happiness and a fullness of joy forever. Our message, therefore, is one of special love and concern for the eternal welfare of all men and women regardless of religious belief, race, or nationality, knowing that we are truly brothers and sisters because we are sons and daughters of the same eternal Father. Wow, that is freaking gold. Listen to this next one by Elder Orson F. Whitney. He said, Perhaps the Lord needs such men on the outside of his church to help it along. They are among its auxiliaries and can do much more good for the cause where the Lord has placed them than anywhere else. 
Hence, some are drawn into the fold and receive a testimony of truth, while others remain unconverted. The beauties and the glories of a gospel being veiled temporarily from their view for a wise purpose. The Lord will open their eyes in his own due time. God is using more than one people for the accomplishment of his great and marvelous work. The Latter-day Saints cannot do it all. It is too vast, too arduous for any one people. So, even though you are all going to be missionaries and you will be representing Jesus Christ and teaching his gospel, there are many others around you who may be furthering his work in their own way with the light and knowledge that they have. Pretty neat. Next, Marl suggests to acknowledge truth and goodness in other faiths. Just like how I pointed out earlier, many other religions possess really important truths. This is something important to keep in mind as a missionary. Just because a person might not want to listen to your message because they already have another religion doesn't mean that they are completely lost. They probably have a lot going for them and at the end of the day, whether in this life or the next, their honest intentions will guide them to God. The prophet Joseph Smith stated, We don't ask any people to throw away any good that they have got. We only ask them to come and get more. And Elder Brigham H. Roberts explained, The purpose of God in the introduction of the dispensation of the fullness of times was not to destroy any truth that existed in the world, but to add to that truth, to increase it, and to draw together all truth and develop it into a beautiful system in which men may rest contented knowing God and their relationship to him. Okay, and so third, Marlowe suggests to avoid undue judgment, explaining that as members of Christ through church, our responsibility is to share not to judge or demean. This means that if someone doesn't accept the message, we cannot judge their fate. It would be a bad assumption to think that because someone doesn't readily accept the gospel, that they are openly rejecting the message or God. In fact, I think it would be safe to assume that pretty much everybody would readily agree with many of the things that we believe about God and about his plan. I mean, the prophet Joseph Smith said, I don't blame you for not believing my history. If I had not experienced what I have, I could not have believed it myself. So, give people the benefit of the doubt, guys. Elder Ballard explained, While it is true we declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored, and we urge our members to share their faith and testimony with others, it has never been the policy of the church that those who choose not to listen or accept our message should be shunned or ignored. Indeed, the opposite is true. Surely, good neighbors should put forth every effort to understand each other and to be kind to one another regardless of religion, nationality, race, or culture. The next point that Marlowe makes is to avoid contention. And this is something that I think President Nelson would agree with wholeheartedly. That seems to be the thing that he has really been trying to get across with lately, and for obvious reasons. President Hinckley has explained, We want to be good neighbors. We want to be good friends. We feel we can differ theologically with people without being disagreeable in any sense. We hope they feel the same way towards us. We have made many friends and many associations with people who are not of our faith, with whom we deal constantly and we have a wonderful relationship. It disturbs me when I hear about antagonisms. I don't think that they are necessary. I hope that we can overcome them. Elder James E. Talmadge stated, We are not as selling churches. We are not attacking sects. We have no war with any of the numerous denominations on the face of the earth. We are sending out our missionaries. We are using the columns of the press, not to attack Catholicism or Protestantism or any form of religion, but to preach in a positive and constructive way the principles of a gospel of Jesus Christ, as that gospel has been restored to the earth in this dispensation. Finally, Marl admonishes us to simply live by the golden rule. 
Really, guys, as we go out and share the gospel, we have to try and put ourselves in other shoes. We can be bold as we do this, but we also have to respect people's agency and simply just treat them the way that we would want them to treat us. To conclude, Marlo says that, quote, Certainly, we cannot avoid all the offenses those of other faiths may associate with this doctrine, nor does it appear that God expects us to do so. As previously indicated, however, President Hinckley and other church leaders have expressed room for improvement. It is possible to be bold and not overbearing. He then shares a story of a Baptist pastor who told him of two different contrasting experiences he had with members of the church regarding the doctrine of the one true church. On one hand, after explaining that this doctrine was offensive to him, a Latter-day Saint man replied that he still believed it, even though it was offensive to him. This is what it looks like to be bold, and the pastor actually admonished this man's integrity. On one occasion, however, he said that he had two Latter-day Saint guys say, Truth hurts. Tough. Obviously, he thought this was just plain arrogance, which is completely justified. But in both cases, members of the church held to the truth and one came across completely arrogant while the other one was given respect for his integrity. So yes, you have to be bold, but you also need to make sure that your boldness comes from a genuine love for others. Otherwise, you could easily fall into the trap of being overbearing. And along with your boldness should come an invitation to come and see. When you are bold, you invite others to investigate, and you can have the quiet confidence that those who do so with a sincere heart can come to know the truth for themselves. President Packer said that each soul has the right, indeed the obligation, to make an appeal through prayer for the answer to this question, is there a true church? That is how it all began, you know, with a 14-year-old boy who went into a grove, end quote. So at the conclusion of all this, I hope you have a clearer understanding of what it means to use boldness without overbearance. You are all called to testify to the world that Jesus Christ lives and that he is guiding and directing his church through his very own authority. That will require boldness to do, but remember that you can always find a better way to do it. So I invite you to always be looking to increase your own skill and understanding, and with the help of the Spirit, you will become a more effective missionary. If you ever want to look up the article that I drew all this from, it is titled, The Only True Church, Boldness Without Overbearance. And again, it's by Eric John K. Marlowe. I'll leave the link to it in the show notes. So thank you everyone for joining me on this episode. I invite you to stick around because I've got some more great stuff coming up. And don't forget to look up the podcast on Instagram. There you can message me directly with any questions, things you want me to share in here, or topics that you'd like me to cover. Until then, I'll catch you all in the next episode. Peace.